This podcast is brought to you by Premiere, the UK's leading Christian media organisation. As we approach the end of our financial year, we want to remind you that podcasts like this are only possible due to the generosity of supporters like you. You could help reach millions of people throughout the year through shows just like this. Make your best gift today at premierchristianradio.plus. You're listening to The Profile. Hello and welcome to The Profile Podcast. I'm Andy Peck. Maybe you have a leadership role, or maybe you're just seeking to use your influence in godly ways. You will know that leadership can be a bit of a roller coaster, wonderful highs, crushing lows, and an awful lot of daily grind. Sometimes you need advice and encouragement from people who can relate to your situation. This is why for the past 18 years I've been interviewing Christians in the world of leadership, from churches, charities and commercial and non-commercial settings. I've been aiming to support Christians just like you, so you can honour God, who is our ultimate leader. I trust that this next conversation will be an inspiration to you. This show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. Among the many definitions of leadership is the idea that a wise leader creates a vision for the future that is better than the present and calls people to join him or her in accomplishing that future. To some extent, this presupposes the leader can project forward from now into the future and imagine what that looks like. That may be possible looking ahead for months or even a year, but with an ever-changing world, life in five or ten years' time might be very, very different. Well, someone who's done some thinking about the future is Stephen McAlpine. He's put his thinking into a book entitled Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. It's his second book following on from Being the Bad Guys, How We Got to Where We Are. Steve has been involved in church planting and pastoring in Perth, Australia for more than 25 years and has a background in journalism and writing. He currently pastors part-time in an FAC Australia church, as well as working as a consultant in a role for City Bible Forum, an evangelistic organisation that seeks to reach city workers uh, with the gospel. He blogs and writes about theology, church and secular culture. Lovely to welcome you to the Leadership Show, Steve. Yeah, great to be uh, with you across the uh, many thousands of miles. <laughs> indeed, indeed it is. Uh, and you hail from Northern Ireland originally? I do, yes. Uh, typical uh, £10 POM family in the 70s that moved out to Australia. And uh, we bounced back a little bit, but ended up back in Australia, which is, which I guess is home once you're here for a certain number of years. Um no, it's uh, it's it, you never get it out of your blood. The UK, I think, if you sure. still follow <laughs> Arsenal Football Club, so there you go. <laughs> well, you've got a slight Australian tang, but also uh, a, a discernible Belfast. Oh, okay. uh... Yeah, you can never lose the rolling R of Northern Ireland. It always sounds <laughs> a little bit angry. <laughs> so, Steve, uh, you know this. This some people might imagine uh, future proof. You know this book. Uh, anticipates robots uh, taking over the world. <laughs> uh, but although AI is mentioned in, 
Um, it's not that kind of book. So perhaps you could just kind of summarize for us what you were aiming for. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good observation. I guess what I'm aiming for is for whatever the changes happen in the future, and this is what I'm saying in the book, is that a change doesn't come like a cable car ride to the top of some progressive utopian ideal. It's more like a roller coaster, rapid discontinuous change. And so you can, you can predict some things and some things you can't predict, but you can see general trends. And I think that's what leaders need to do is to get above the fray and see the direction of things and where they're going. The, the bonus for Christians uh, who have a biblical framework is that uh, we kind of know the end of the story, uh, how we get there in this age, not so much, but the end of the story gives us confidence to ride the roller coaster. And I think one of the things we are seeing is a lack of confidence and an anxiety in our secular culture about where we're headed. And Christianity has some answers to that. Yeah, sure. It's and it's wonderfully you in within the book, you I think as well as educating people about the future, you also help them understand better the gospel that they uh, pr profess to believe. So so well done. Um now uh Steve, you you quote philosopher Charles Taylor. I mean, well done for reading and understanding <laughs> him, I have to say, um having having attempted it myself. But he coins the idea of social imaginary to describe the ways people imagine their social existence, how they fit together with others, how things go on between them and their fellows, the expectation normally met. You know, it's, it's kind of the idea of culture, you know, that's that which not we're not typically aware of. Hmm. And with the general assumption in our culture, included in our education, is that life is about us being the most authentic version of ourselves. And we're the ones who determine this. That includes our gender, our sexuality. If you know, those who are assigned one and don't like it, well, that's up to them kind of thing. Hmm. Many Christians today find this is the challenging thing to navigate, not just for the future, but, but for now. And uh, I, I just wonder if you think that's the, the main element of our culture at the moment, both sides of uh, oh. uh, of our divides, you, you in Australia and we in, in the UK. Yeah, well, look, I, I think all of the Western nations have these things in common, to be honest, and the vestiges of a post-Christian world or the vestiges of Christianity in a post-Christian world. Um, the head of the Gospel Coalition in Australia, Rory Shiner, made an observation about how um, every Netflix series, every Disney film, every graduation speech is 100% on point. The purpose of your life is to find out your true inner self and authentically express that to the world. God is framed out. And I think that's the social imaginary that we're talking about, that the point of my life is to find out who I truly am and then do that. Because to not do that is to not be true. And I think Christians struggle with it because at one level they see it's not right, doesn't align with the gospel. But on the other hand, we're susceptible to it ourselves. And I would say this is as going into for leaders in churches that one of the things we have to navigate in our own lives as well as our the people we work with and lead is how do we launder out that idea uh, that sees a lot of churn in church as well, where people make decisions about what they should do with their lives or where they should go to church, basically around consumer, this is what I think is true and right, rather than saying, what do the people of God think about this? So it's not, it, when you're swimming in the water, uh, you can't get out of the water necessarily and look at it too easily. Christians are also part of that cultural social imaginary, and we need the gospel to reframe those things for us on a daily basis. Yeah, and Steve, in the in the book, you you outline quite accurately that actually, if the, if the culture chose to look at what's happening 
uh, it's not actually working very well for them. Oh, no, not at all. And this is the thing around the whole issues. And this is one of the issues around anthropology, as in what it means to be human, who a human is for, the purpose in your life, uh, how do you self-authenticate. There are so many options for experiences to be yourself in our cultural moment. But as Mark Sayers, an Australian pastor and author, says, the, the experience bucket is full in the West. We can do anything we want, but the meaning and purpose bucket it's very empty. And that's also led to a level of anxiety for people because if you are to express yourself to the world and that's your duty, uh, if you fail, it's kind of down to you. <laughs> you don't have a framework of how do I get myself out of this? And you've also got a framework if if I fail, other people will judge me harshly. And there's plenty of uh, social media uh, in contexts in which you see that happen. So people are nervous and anxious and unsure about meaning and purpose at a time in the West when we, on paper, have never had so much. Uh, and you um, you quote uh, Mark Sayers' praise, the non-anxious presence to be. Yes. You know, yeah. That's how Christians ought to be, ideally, uh, sta- yeah. standing aside from the culture, confident in who they are and where they're heading. Yeah, and that also has a has an attractive nature to others who may be hostile to Christianity, but are saying, "Hey, I don't like you Christians and what you believe, but things seem to be going. You, your life seems to be together in a way that, say, mine isn't, or something." Um, and and Steve, the book describes how the culture seems desperate to encourage diversity, but has a particular view on what that diversity looks like, and. You know, you reflect in Australia. The way we do in the UK is that it seems to be a different rule for Christians who are not allowed to express their identity in certain settings because it's abhorrent. Uh, and I'm guessing uh, it's, it's, it's true for you as well. Yeah, look, I went to a National Basketball League game the other day with my son. It was the Pride Round. And there was a lot that was being said. Uh, and, you know, you we're here to celebrate the fact that it doesn't matter what gender you are, what uh what um, sexuality you are, what ethnicity you are. Uh, you can be your true self, whoever you because we're stronger as one. But the, the, the term religion was just taken out of it. And part of our social imaginary is all those other things are true and real and right that we have to bring to the public square. But religion's kind of a problem, a messy opinion problem left better left to the side. So what you end up getting is what I call um, diversity that's kind of skin deep, that everyone thinks the same, even if on the surface they look a little different, but the framework of thinking of how this world is put together is kind of uniform. And so Christians bounce up against that. So the problem we have in, a, in our setting is that our governments want great citizens who all band together and help each other, yet at the same time the culture is saying, do, you do you. Uh, those two things are hard to hold in tension. So you get a very isolating, lonely, polarising culture while at the same time the government is spending billions of dollars to try and create this sort of vision of what our uh, culture and our, our country needs to look like. And you see those two things clashing in the cultural wars very strongly at the moment, I think, too. Um, and, and Steve, I loved your discipleship definition. Discipleship is the immersive crafting over time of practices to become a default ways of living. Um, yes. And, and yeah. of course, we use that the discipleship word for, for for growing in Christ, but you pointing out that that's actually what our culture is doing and can be doing to us as believers. And and I loved, again, uh, US pastor Tim Keller being quoted, uh, 
that it's as if the church is using audio and the local university culture providing video. <laughs> so, yes, you know, we've got yeah. a job on because yeah. uh, if, right. if, we're, if we're just word people, um, uh, we're not just word people, but if we are, then people are hearing words, but they're, they're seeing the culture around us uh, and that's what they're wanting to imitate. Yeah, and, and and Tim Keller was saying in that sense that uh, it's the if discipleship in church is very thin, and the way we engage with people as a community is very thin, don't be surprised if when your kids go to university and it's a very immersive experience for them that that becomes more plausible to them, even though they could tick all the boxes of what they believe theologically. It wouldn't take too many semesters at a university setting for them to be immersed. And we see that all the time. It's a classic case of how come you were a Christian for 18 years and one semester at, at university took that away? Well, because it wasn't thick enough in church at one level. And that's speaking about the surface. That's not necessarily saying what people's under, going on underneath. But we have to dial up the immersive discipleship uh, setting in our churches much more in the next 30 years, I would say. Well, we're, we're going to touch on this a little bit later. Um, in fact, let's, let's let's do it now, because you touch on technology, mm. uh, and young people use it all the time. Uh, arguably, uh, don't have so much time for church gatherings. I don't know how it is in Australia. Uh, you know, we, we we see a drop off around the age of twelve, thirteen, fourteen from local church, um, uh, and and this is from sometimes people who would say they're Christians. But they somehow just don't can't quite connect with the church service uh, on a Sunday. I'm just wondering how central you believe physical gathering is to their discipleship, and how much we might use social media and audio to, to kind of support them. In other words, do we do we change church in order to disciple the young culture, or do we um, actually urge them to go against the grain? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think a couple of things. Uh, young people can use technology well, uh, far better than my age cohort, I think, in keeping community together. So, it, you know, technology gives and technology takes away. You get this isolating, polarising social media thing. But at the same time, I'm always impressed by how connected my daughter's Christian friends are with each other and how they use technology creatively for their Christian uh, community. At the same time, I think down at the church gathering end of life, the, the gathering of God's people on the weekend on a Sunday, for example, has to also uh, bleed into other gatherings during the week that aren't necessarily more of the same, but are good, thick, rich expressions of God's people being together cross-generationally. So I think Christian families in the future will, I think that it would help them to do more meals together where they're all together around the table, age cohorts and different uh, settings and different sort of cultural backgrounds and do food together, just do life together a bit more without having to do so many programs, but dial down the level of busyness and increase the level of deeper community life together. And I think you could do that even in a busy life if you just dial things up a little bit, a little bit. You don't have to go ninja Christianity. I think you just have to say, how can we do life together a little bit more compelling so that our young people looking on go, that life looks good and rich and true, so that when they do get to university and people say, well, here's a really great compelling narrative and community to belong to, they go, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I've got this one over here. 
And I think that's what actually is quite compelling to young people. You also mentioned in the book that even if you don't like war, uh, war will find you. And obviously we're very sadly aware of those uh, caught in the crossfire of, of various wars and conflicts in, in our world. Uh, but, but applying that particularly to, to culture, um, and whether Christians like it or not, um, culture has found them, and Christian leaders uh, are certainly seeking to minister to a congregation caught up in the culture. And so what kind of weekly routine would help a, a church leader make sure that they're understanding the kind of world their congregation is facing? Um, most of them are go have gone to seminary or theological college, uh, imbibing scripture well and hopefully understanding their theology. Uh, they don't always have a great deal of help understanding the culture. Yes, that's a great point. I don't think you need to be the culture junkie in leadership in churches, but you do need to say, for example, once every three weeks or two weeks, I'm going to spend time and have lunch with someone from our congregation in their work setting uh, or around their table, and then I'm going to spend some time listening to them about what their pressure points are. Because one of the disconnects that I found when I wrote my first book was people in church saying, my pastor's telling me that I've got to tell people about Jesus at work. Does he realise what the HR department would think about that? And uh, no, he does not realise that <laughs> because he's living 20 years in the past. Things move quickly. So I think there's a lot of education that uh, pastors can in particular get from their congregations just by listening to what their day-to-day -day lives are like. Now, that doesn't mean to say that a pastor hasn't got anything to speak into this because I think the Bible is eternally relevant, but it does give them an opportunity to say, I want to know what the experience of my uh, congregants are like or the people in my Bible study group or whatever on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and lean into that and listen and then respond biblically to what, what's been said because I, I think one of the issues that people face is they're busy, they're tired, they're always about two or three weeks financially away from implosion if they lose their job and they just don't need one more program at church that doesn't seem to do anything. <laughs> I think pastors need to start listening to the tensions and frustrations and fears that their people have about the modern life that they're living. Uh, and, and Steve, do you, do you subscribe to a, a, a kind of secular journal or magazine that keeps you in touch with culture or you, do you read a newspaper? What, what kind yeah, of look, reading I mean, habits in this? My reading habits in this one of the things we've got to do is get out of our echo chambers a little bit. So I'm naturally conservative. I admit that. Uh, don't have any trouble admitting that. But I do read widely and watch a little bit widely because I am reading the New York Times and I am reading the Atlantic as well as the Times and the Australian more conservative paper. But not all my people are, but they are watching things and they are watching series and shows. And as I was saying before, Every Netflix series is on point. The point of your life is to <laughs> express yeah. your individual framework. Just watching that happen on shows and saying, how is that being drip filtered into the um, affections of my people and how can I counter that with the gospel, with a greater love, a greater desire, and perhaps a greater warning not to go down that path, uh, that would help. Now, in a busy life, ain't nobody got time for that. If you're pastoring, you think. But I don't think it takes too much to start to ask people in your congregation, tell me what you're listening to, tell me what you're watching, tell me what music is going on in your lives and what, what the messages are coming across and just sit and listen in that space for a little while. That will actually 
tell them that you value them going forward into the future as much as it is a, you know, it's quite a helpful thing for you to do. So I think it's about loving people well by listening to them well and responding to some of their anxieties themselves. Steve, I said in the introduction that you are, you're part of City Bible Forum, an evangelistic organisation that seeks to reach city workers with the gospel. You um, you hinted that it's it's quite difficult, uh, certainly in the UK as well, to share the gospel in a work setting. You know, HR would be indeed on your back, though you know, there were some settings where it might be possible. What 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 are the kind of ways in which you're able to set, set find settings where people who are working in the city can engage a bit further with uh, with christ i think the workplace is not as open to people evangelizing as much as it perhaps was or felt it was because it feels more hostile but it is certainly a place where christians can be different i think the non-anxious presence thing is very important that you can be a person in the workplace who demonstrates what it looks like to forgive in a place that's very unforgiving you can look, uh, be the person who doesn't take credit for someone else's success and doesn't deflect blame if you've done something wrong and can be the person that even if someone goes, well, they're the Christian bloke, they're judgmental, if you're that person that when they've got a problem, you're the automatic person they come to and say, I know you won't judge me, <laughs> already in that setting, you're demonstrating something different about how you live your life. Now, that gives you an opportunity then to say something because they might ask you questions, which is very different to the HR department getting on your case for proselytizing, say, things like that. So I think Christians can stand up clearly. And I also think it's, you know, it's still a free world in the Western world. It is still a religiously open world and a place where religion is still got some say in the public sphere. I don't think you have to shut yourself down if you're uh, gentle and kind and clear about what you believe. Uh, Steve, you're a, a blogger, um, so you can give us your your blog handle or how how people can read you. Uh, I've been on your site and it, you know very engaging, and it's quite quite clear that you have a journalistic background. So well done. Um, uh, how have people reacted to the book um, so far on, in the blog world? Well, uh, yeah, I've been really encouraged because I think the first book was how do we get here and where where life is, and I wanted to write the second book um, to give people encouragement that even though it might be hard, there are green shoots, that the church is still going forward, and that even now when you see the likes of a Russell Brand or an A.N. Hersey Alley or a Tom Holland discussing Christianity with great seriousness, uh, that people are still becoming Christian. And I think that was encouraging for people to read because one of the things we they said about my book was it's not just a book about theory. It's saying here's some how-to as Christian communities going forward. One of the lacks, I think, in some of the books on cultural engagement is that they finish with half a chapter on, and here's how you might do church. And people have been encouraged by, here's a whole bunch of things that we could think about as Christian communities together in light of how the future is going. Put some into practice and see how you go. And that's why I put an application guide that accompanies the book as well that you can download. Yeah, and so you could read it with a, a leadership team and yeah, and I designed. Yeah, I designed it for uh, people to do in leadership teams or Bible study groups, and uh, with the uh, the cheeky aside that if you buy ten of them, you can have an hour with me on Zoom from anywhere in the world, and we can talk about it because I want it to be a thing, a book that 
uh, helps people navigate the place as a Christian community and some provide some tools to do so. And, and remind people how they can get uh, to read your blog. Oh, yes, the uh, humbly named stephenmcalpine.com. It feels like I, I ran out of ideas. Uh, that's Stephen with a PH, stephenmcalpine.com. You can say it with a Northern Irish accent. It might make you remember it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, big M, small C, big A, Alpine. You know, yeah, you nailed that. <laughs> well, Steve, it's, it's, been, it's terrific to chat with you and to sense your enthusiasm uh, for the gospel and for helping uh, us all to to navigate the future and as i hinted at in the introduction every leader needs to have some vision for the future and hopefully reading your book will give them a uh, a, a way of understanding it better and navigating it as the uncertainties come our way so thank you so much yeah well the gospel assures us that the future is cast iron guaranteed for god's people getting there might uh, you know, raise a few sweats, but God is with us so we can be encouraged. And thanks for the time today, Andy. Really appreciate it. So it was lovely to chat with uh, Steve McAlpine. Uh, that book again, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. I loved his uh, use of that phrase, non-anxious presence. I don't know if you feel like you have a, a non-anxious presence, but that sense of confidence in God and in his love and his grace uh, as we seek to live for him can communicate powerfully to those who are caught up in the so-called rat race of a busy 21st century life. So I pray that you may be a non-anxious presence where God has called you to be, maybe in a family or a workplace or a circle of friends as always you can find archive versions of the leadership show go to premier's website uh, and also uh, sign up for the regular podcast this recording is part of the profile podcast and the leadership special lands on a wednesday so you can listen to this and others from last year on uh, the profile uh, and indeed get the profile content, uh, slightly larger uh, conversations and interviews with uh, various people from the Christian world, including occasionally uh, Christian leaders. So this is Andy Peck thanking you for your company as always and looking forward to the next time. Bye for now. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. To get in touch, email andy.peck at premier.org.uk. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.